welcome back to another episode of the Homestead Connection podcast. Today, Brenna and myself, Molly, are talking all things urban homesteading. Brenna and I both live within city limits, have close neighbors, and have less than a half an acre of land. Like many of our listeners, we are limited by space, time, finances, and city ordinances. But we have managed to create our own slice of the homestead life. Hey, Molly. Thanks so much for including me on this uh, podcast with you today. Super excited to talk all things urban homesteading. I know it's near and dear to your heart, and it's near and dear to mine. And so um, you actually had just told me about a statistic you are reading. And do you want to share that with everybody? Because I found it super, super fascinating. Yeah, I was um I was curious, you know, when we when we start talking about this podcast, it's something that you and I are passionate about, but how many people would it really, you know, resonate with? And so I just did quick Google, almighty Google, and um it looks like almost 80% of the US population lives in either urban or suburban areas. So many many people live in the same kind of way that we do where they're bound by laws and, you know, land restrictions and all the things that you just listed. Um but yet there are ways to get a little bit creative and you can still have, you can still take some control and self-sufficiency over, you know, your supply chain. For sure. It's just crazy. I mean, you think about it. So many people are either living in, you know, single family homes, apartments, condos, just multifamily living situations. And, and how can you really get to be that self-sufficient lifestyle that you're wanting to have? How can you do that? And so I'm excited about this podcast today because we're going to talk about a few key points on how you can start having your own little slice of the homestead life. And really, the homestead life, it's a lifestyle, an attitude change, just a mindset shift. And so to know the you know know your options um, is going to be really um, self-rewarding for yourself. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys today. I think one of the first things that's super important is to really get to know your city ordinances and laws. And I have my own set, like everybody else, um, that kind of bind me to what I can do. Brenna, is your city pretty lenient or how does it work for you? Um, it's It depends. So, the, it, you know, we used to be very strict around water retention and keeping water and, and um, you know, catching rainwater, uh, but they've loosened that up. So I would say that the ordinances and the laws do shift with the population and how the population is wanting to go. Uh, so I feel pretty lucky with... Um, with the way that my my area you know looks at laws and looks at homesteading in general, there are some places that are more lenient and more supportive of homesteading than others. Uh, but one of the things that I do, and it's right, wrong, or indifferent, is if you understand the laws, even if you choose to push those laws or go a little bit outside of them, at least you know what you're doing and why you're doing it and what the repercussions are. For example, I have somewhere around 26 chickens in my backyard, and they're supposed to be six. That's a lot of chickens. That was not on purpose, I promise. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I know where I'm supposed to be, and I know what I need to get down to. Um, and, I, and I know how I need to communicate with my neighbors and with the community around me so that I am keeping everybody happy, I'm keeping the animals sanitary, and, you know, and I'm, I'm practicing good animal hus husbandry. So understanding your laws and understanding what you're trying to do, either short-term or long-term, I think is, is a really great place to start. And they're sticky. They're hard. You do a lot of digging. 
For sure. And I think it's important to be able to go and talk with your city officials, whether it's your city council or your um, like your city clerks in your town, just to see kind of where you're at. Like, can I have chickens? If I can have chickens, what are my steps to go and get this approved for other people in our city to get chickens? Or, um, you know, like in my town, we have impervious, impervious surface laws and, you know, ordinance ordinances of what we can and can't have. And so, like, if I wanted to put an extra shed on our property or something to house whatever, you know, those are different things I need to check on. And so really getting in touch with your city officials can get you that information, too. Whether or not you follow those is up to you. <laughs> um, but it's important to be able to go and talk with them about, you know, what you can and can't do. Yeah. And I love what you said um, around, you know, if the if it is not allowed, you know, currently what you can do to organize to get those laws changed, because if you're thinking about something nine times out of 10 other people in your area are thinking about it the same way. Um, you know, the, I, go, I go back to thinking about the water. People really wanted to be able to keep a certain amount of rainwater or at least harvest it so that they could water their gardens because we live in a very dry area. So how do we work with making sure we're keeping the land around us safe but then and healthy, um, but then also, you know, getting to where we can harvest water uh, when when those time, those wet seasons come and, um, you know, the, the, the community worked together to get that to get that set. So it was a, it was a great win for everybody and, and a good win for the environment as well. Of course. Um, so I live in a very small town. We're like 1700 people in a rural farming community and we had no problem getting this chicken issue passed. Like everybody wanted chickens. I think on my <laughs> block alone, there's probably four ish houses that all have chickens, but right down the road, 20 minutes away is a town of 14,000 people. And they have been going for two to three years now trying to get chickens to be passed so they could have wow. chickens in their backyard. And it's crazy. And the argument against it is one person at one point was actually chased down by a chicken in town and was attacked by this chicken. <laughs> oh, no. And that is the reason it's holding up 14,000 residents from having chickens in town. And so I think that's crazy. But, you know, those people are really just working their butts off to get that approved, you know, off of one bad instance, right? That happens. I mean, it can happen with anything, right? But, um, oh, sure. A dog. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a dog, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I just think it's interesting. But everybody, you know, banding together to, to go for the greater good. There's power in numbers. And so if you want something, talk with your friends, talk with your neighbors, talk with your city council members to see what you can do to get it passed. It's just crazy that, you know, that many people are fighting that hard for one instance. But let's say that they can't get it passed or let's say it takes another two or three years to get it passed for, for that town that you were referring to with the 14,000 people. What other things can people do if they're in that kind of situation where they cannot have chickens? Let's say they have no property whatsoever and they're in an apartment. What, what can be done um, so that they can, they can start their own self-sufficiency homesteading journey? I think the next thing that you could do or the next best thing would be to start a garden whether that means in the ground digging in the dirt or a container garden or grow bags or in pots i think a garden would be the next best thing to do yeah all you need is a little bit of dirt water and some sunshine and you can i mean peas take off and even at that some people have those arrow gardens inside their house oh, so they're yeah. sitting on their kitchen counter in a you know in water growing um, their vegetables, their herbs, whatever they have going 
inside their apartment. Why not? Yeah, I mean, we have green, you know, green things in our houses and in our apartments anyway. So if you take that plant and make it make food for you, it's just a, it's even bigger benefit. And there's something about growing even your own herbs. I have an herb garden out front and um, it, it, there's just something about going outside and snipping a fresh piece of thyme or some basil and putting it in a salad that just, I don't know, it gives you a sense of freedom that you, you wouldn't have going and buying it from the grocery store. And it's organic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's, it's huge. Right now, um, my brother just got into an, a new apartment and he has a little patio space. And some of his plants that we potted for him to bring to his apartment look better than the plants in my garden. Like I'm jealous <laughs> of his peppers and tomatoes. They're looking fantastic. And um, so I'm excited that he can have a little garden space for himself while living in an apartment, you know, until he finds a house or whatever his next step is. And like for me, I have a pretty large garden in town. Um, I have somewhere of 35 to 40 tomato plants. I don't know the count right now. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I I mean, that's two rows of tomatoes, two rows of double tomato plants. Um, And then I have, you know, garlic and onions and beans and peas and all the things that I can grow. Um, but that takes a lot of space. So if you can, you know, maximize the small space that you do have, you know, by working smarter, like figuring out what is good for companion planting, what is Mm -hmm. good in grow bags, what can you succession plant? If you are wondering about succession planting, check our podcast from a couple weeks ago. We talk all about succession planting. Um, Just maximize your area. Um, Living in town, small spaces, having a good plan for your garden is the way to go. And picking what you eat the most of, right? You know, if you don't eat yeah. a, a ton of onions, then maybe don't grow onions. But, um, you know, peas, they climb vertically and you don't need a whole lot of space. So you can have a fairly small pot, but then the peas go up and you ha- you can maximize your vertical space as well. So and I, to me, it's just take a little bit takes a little bit of curiosity, you know, and playing with it. Um, one of the things that I struggle with in my area is dirt. I have mm. bad dirt. So I think moving into a next possible uh, opportunity around um, what you can do to homestead, even if you're living in an urban or suburban area, is composting. Uh, yes. Belie- believe it or not, I picked up worms on Amazon. <laughs> wow, that's an interesting purchase. Yeah, and they ship just fine. Um, I picked them up and uh, they lived in my office for a while. And um, yeah, I get, uh, I don't know, about a quart of dirt. I want to say, um, every couple of days from them, they're self-sufficient. Wow. I just throw my scraps. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Worm tea That's and worm cool. casings. You, mm-hmm. Are they still living in your office right now? No, I finally moved them out. Okay. <laughs> they are finally out, but they were here for a good eight months. <laughs> wow. That's super cool. No stinking. They don't stink. As long as you put the right foods in there. They, I didn't even, I forgot about them a couple of times. <laughs> Wow. That's something I've never gotten into or even researched, to be quite honest with you. I have a small like compost pile out back, but I've never bought worms or had worms or whatever. Um, But that's really cool. It's something I'm really interested about learning more of. Yeah. Yeah. They really aerate the soil and they turn all of your, you know, um, 
food waste, fruit, I'd say mostly fruit and vegetable waste. You know, you definitely don't want to put eggs or meat in there. They turn all of it into black dirt so fast. And worm casings are a great organic alternative to, um, to fertilizer. So if my plants aren't doing well, I just sprinkle a little bit of the worm casings, which is worm dirt essentially, and uh, they perk right up. Wow. I like playing in encouraging. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then you don't have to go and buy dirt from like a Home Depot or a Lowe's. There's nothing worse than paying, at least in my opinion, 10 bucks for a bag of dirt when we have dirt outside, you know? So how do you just yeah. make that better? And dirt is, I mean, $10 a bag and a bag only lasts you so far. Mm -hmm. It gets so expensive to fill a raised garden bed with bags and bags of dirt. It's mm -hmm. so expensive. So that's mm -hmm. a huge plus. Yeah. And if you think about it in an apartment, you know, like I said, I kept it in my office in an apartment, you could have your little vertical garden and you could have your worm bin right next to it. And you have a self-contained, you know, they will reseed themselves if you buy heirloom plants and you have dirt made by the worms, you can just continuously, you know, amend and work up that soil. It's a nice way to succession plant. That's awesome. That's a really good idea. I never have thought about putting worms by my garden. Oh, I'm going to send you some worms. What <laughs> <laughs> <Not> worms? <laughs> yeah, worms really boost your yield too. I mean, you know, worm tea, worm casings, I guess they sound a little bit gross, but they're all nutrients that are good for, um, you know, for, for your plants and they're, they're all organically based, which makes me think back to your tomatoes and how you were saying that, um, you know, your brother's peppers and, and whatnot were doing so well in his little container garden and yours maybe were struggling. Uh, you know, so worm casings or worm, uh, worm tea would probably really perk up your tomatoes. And I'm just, I'm dying. I, I gotta know why on earth do you have 48 or so <laughs> tomato plants. I think I have three. I think I have three tomato plants. Oh, so we are a completely gluten-free household and my daughter has celiac disease. Mm. And so I take making sure I have enough food for us that I know where it's from and I know what the ingredients are. So like I, I work so hard for that. So having so many tomatoes is so I can can up many different ways. So preserving food is something we do all season long um so last night i actually went and clipped all the garlic scapes off my garlic and so i'm going to be preserving some garlic scapes this this weekend um but my tomatoes so we we are spaghetti family we love spaghetti so much so i try to can up 52 quarts of pasta sauce so we can have one what? Yeah. One meal of spaghetti per week if that's what we chose or if i wanted to make lasagna or whatever like i can you know, goulash, hot dish, wherever you're at in the country, um, you, we can make that. Um, and so that, that takes a lot of tomatoes, salsa, um, pizza sauce, tomato juice, just stewed tomatoes for, you know, soups, chilies, whatever we want. So we do a lot with tomatoes and, um, that's why I have so many tomato plants, but Another, you know, along this preserving talk here, that is another way to start your homesteading journey. Like, oh, canning, good call. Canning, preserving, dehydrating, blanching, and freezing. Like, there's so many ways that you can get into preserving your own food that you know where your stuff is coming from. You can be self sufficient in putting that up for your family for the rest of the year. 
What a great call. Even if you cannot garden, let's say, you know, you're sitting here and you're listening to this podcast and it's, you know, going, going into July and you're like, but Brenna, Molly, I haven't started anything and I live in the northern environment, so it's going to start snowing and I, so I can't get chickens because I have no space and I can't start a garden because it's going to start freezing soon. One thing that you can do is buy in bulk. Right. Yeah. Everything is getting ready to fruit or, you know, ranches that are close by. You can buy in bulk and then to your point, preserve. Yes. And that's a good point. Like right now, you pick berry farms are so fruitful in my area. Like there there's so many of them and they are coming into harvest season. So if you go to a berry farm, you're gonna pick, you know, how many pounds or how many flats of strawberries, make jam, make preserves make whatever you want to make with it can it up and then it's good to go for the rest of the year or years to come um down the road for me is an asparagus farm and they you, you yeah you pick asparagus you want canned asparagus you want fresh asparagus whatever pickled this you know it's so good um so you Love pick pickled farms. asparagus yes so good um farmer's markets you know, local farm stands on the side of the road, you know, that's helping someone else's homestead by you purchasing their produce, but it's in turn going to help you, right? So you're going to be able to can and preserve and put all that up for the next year. And so I think that's a, a huge asset to any homestead, either urban homestead or full on 150 acre homestead. Yeah. Have you, how would you find those, um, those opportunities in your area. Like I use an app called Farmish, but I don't know if it's really out there or not. Um, and then I found my meat, my bulk meat, I buy my cow by like the half, you know, or the quarter. Um, and then I freeze it or can it. Well, I haven't started canning yet in full disclosure, but I want to start canning meat because I think it's a great way to do an easy meal, but I'm, I'm working up the confidence. It's so. delicious. <laughs> I was still to can meat until I took Desiree from Mountain Dogs Farms meat canning class. And now it's like my favorite thing to do. It is so good. If you guys are looking for a meat canning class, I highly recommend it. Um, but it, it's so good. I haven't gotten there yet. All Canned right. Venison. I'm going to have to try it. So good. Yes. Yes. Venison's amazing. I could see that it would tenderize down very nicely. And then it you does. have like a one can meal for, for fast nights. Yep. But um, how, do, how do you find area? How do you find those things in your area? Do you use an app or do you use the classifieds? How do, how do you do it? I, we have farmish in our area, but it's not used and widely known about. Um, mm. So I, you know, have talked about it with a few people, a few friends and, you know, you can find a few things on there, but honestly, word of mouth in my area is the way to go. You know, you start, you find your, your people, right? So I know Brenna, you do Azure standard, you go to pickups and you, you know, meet other mm -hmm. people and talk there. Well, same thing around me. You can talk to those people in line and say, Hey, do you get raw milk from somewhere? Where do you find mm -hmm. it? Or, you know, do you know anybody that has a, a cow at their house or getting ready to butcher or, you know, just talking with people like that. Or another great way in my area is going to our local farmer's market and chatting with everybody there. Um, those people, like that's where I found the greenhouse where I got a lot of my starts this year for our garden. Um, mm. She goes to our local farmer's market and, you know, she was a wealth of knowledge learning about a bunch of different things in our area. And so that's another way, you know, for word of mouth to find that kind of information. 
Interesting. Yep. See, it's it does come down to talking to people. And I think, you know, especially in our society today, we try to avoid that. Um, but I've, I've, that's how I got my half pig uh, at the beginning of this year or was that late last year? I cannot remember now. But my the lady I get my milk from was like, hey, we're butchering pigs. Do you do you want to buy a half a pig or a whole pig or, you know, what size pig would you like? And um, and that's how it was my first foray into farm raised pork. And I tell you what, I will never go back. There is yes. nothing better than that bacon. I swear. <laughs> it's delicious. I agree. We get when we we buy from a, a grass fed farm as well. And it is so darn good. I you can't beat it. And you know, another thing that we do to, you know, source our own things is we go hunting. So we're a hunting family. And so for us, for preserving, like we talked about canned venison, we will go out and, you know, we'll go for deer, duck, goose, whatever, and we'll take care and process our own meat. So that way we're getting that organic, healthy food, lean meat, lean red meat. And, um, you know, we'll freeze that and, or we'll make sausage or sticks or whatever with that, um, for the next year as well. What a great call out, because if you think back to, um, I don't know, I was a big Lori Ingalls Wilder kid growing up, but you think back to mm-hmm. homesteads and how you picture them, they did not just grow everything, you know, some stuff they got through the community, which we've talked about. Um, and then some stuff they went out and they hunted for. And I think hunting is a great, um, a great skill for people to learn if they feel so called to do it. And so going back to, you know, knowing your laws, you know, get involved with your, um, oh gosh, you know it better than I do. Get, get involved with your wildlife con- conservation areas and see what you can do from a hunting perspective. So that's a, that's a great idea. And likewise, that goes hand in hand with hunting is foraging. Mm. So you could go out, you know, in the spring, if you have morel mushrooms in your area, you could go out and find morels and dehydrate them, dry them, and, mm-hmm. you know, use them in so many different ways. Then you could rehydrate them and eat them like they'd be fresh again months down the road. Um, and so, yes, hunting and foraging are great ways to to maximize your space because you're not doing that right at your house, right? right? Like you can go out and find that anywhere. Right. Yeah. And you're getting to know, you know, the, the wilderness around you, which is also fantastic mm-hmm. for many people that are living in an urban or suburban area where you don't really get that time, you know. Um, and one thing I think people don't realize just thinking about foraging is like in our area, we have a lot of ditch asparagus. Have you heard of that? Do you know what that <laughs> no, is? No, this doesn't sound tasty at all, no. though. <laughs> actually just asparagus that's seeded and it's in road ditches and so like in minnesota where i'm from yeah i don't know if it's like this everywhere but like you can go in the ditch and pick it and you're not on anybody's property right so like it's free game and so when asparagus season hits and all these well-known areas with ditch asparagus (laughs) are out and like they're in full harvest season people are lined up in the ditches trying to find asparagus and so there's another way and it's free you don't have to have it at your house you're not paying for it it's just there yeah because asparagus takes a while i think to grow right it takes like two years for it to start to fruit or something crazy like that i have found so i'm in colorado and i have found one asparagus and i took a picture of it i did not um, you know, clip it or anything because it was the only one that I found. I didn't want to ruin it, but it was just one. And I took a picture of it because I'd never seen wild asparagus before. I did not think to call it ditch asparagus though. It's pretty funny. And maybe that's just like a term that we use here because that's where we find it. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, go out and forage. Oh yeah. Find it. 
Yep. Yeah, just make sure that you forge where they don't spray. You know, you have to make sure you know where they spray well, and where so. they don't. Yeah, but if everybody's doing it and it's a local area, then that's a that's a good way of knowing that it's safe. Yes, it is. It's it it's nice. So Molly, you were talking about um, you know your your family's a gluten free family, and yet you like you love to eat pasta, mm-hmm. right? Which I'm Italian by by heritage, and so that you know pasta is near and dear to my heart. Um, but how do you do that? What do you, how do you control in your family not getting too far deep into like the gluten-free portion of it, but how do you control what your family is ingesting more to make sure that your daughter, you know, is safe um, with her sensitivities? We cook a lot from scratch. So Ah. yes, not as much store-bought, like pre-made easy meals. We cook from scratch and cooking from scratch can be super overwhelming. Like I have to make this four course meal, you know, everything has to be made from scratch. I have to make my noodles. I have to do this. I have to do that. No, start simple. If you want to cook from scratch, you can start by making one like side dish. Say I'm going to make, you know, a loaf of bread today or this week. And Mm. we're going to eat that for the week. You don't have to make everything start small because otherwise it's super overwhelming, super tiring, loads of dishes, right? Like dishes. (laughs) um but it starts small start cooking from scratch it's easy to do it just takes a little bit more time yeah i could see that and it also cuts down on your food bill overall because you're probably not eating out as much and if you preserve ahead like we were talking about eventually right it's all goals to get to and what speaks to you the most but now you're eating higher quality food it's still fast and easy and it was all done from scratch with a little bit of preparation from you and you're able to control what's in your family's diet um, to a, a much further extent than somebody that's eaten it. You know, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, right? I go out for sushi one night, we eat Little Caesars another night, we eat Mexican food another night. Before you know it, three out of seven nights, we have no idea where that food mm-hmm. came from or how those animals were harvested or, you know, it's, it's completely outside of what we can create within our own homestead. I agree with you 100%. There is no greater feeling than knowing what went into nourishing your family's body. Knowing that you... That's at the crux. And knowing that you took the time to make sure that your family is a healthy meal. I don't know. It just, it does something for me. It makes me feel so good and so fulfilled. Yeah. And that's at the crux of what you're trying to do. At least what I think we're trying to do as urban homesteaders is, you know, wrap our arms more around what our family is consuming or possibly putting on their body. You know, you can get really crazy into making your own soaps and your own salves and all of that. But it's just slowly chipping away and making sure that you know what's going on in your family and in your family. And, um, you know, and that you're providing for it in the smartest and most cost effective way that you can. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like going back to saying, you know, make one dish at a t- or one side at a time, mm-hmm. learning one new skill at a time, you don't need to run into this and dive head first. Yeah. Learning one thing in a season or one thing a year is huge. That is just learning skills is something you're never going to regret, right? Like you're always going to want to learn something new. And if you learn something new, you can hone in on that and really um, master at it. Like what is it the saying? If you spend, oh, I can't even remember now. It's a certain amount of time doing something. You're a master in it, Mm -hmm. right? So like if you spend so much time 
learning how to make a sourdough starter and learning how to bake sourdough bread soon, you're going to master that skill. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? And you're working with your hands, which has a positive feedback loop for your brain. And you get to eat it afterwards, which I love food. <laughs> Win-win situation. Even if it's a mess up, I still get to eat it. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, it's, it's good. So learning a new skill, learning skills is huge in the homestead community, just in and of itself, just learning all the things that you can do. But you can learn skills at any point, like in any season, like if you're living in an apartment, the skills that you can learn, you know, you're dreaming of this homestead with beautiful looming trees and tons of green lush pastures and places for animals, right? Mm -hmm. Start small, start where you're at. Another thing that I think that you can do to start, you know, in your beginning stages of homesteading is learn how to sew, oh. learn how to mend your own clothes, Yes. learn how to crochet or knit or anything on the, that line where, you know, you can use your hands, right? So like me, if I rip a hole in my jeans, instead of going and buying a brand new pair of jeans, you could save that money, take the 20 minutes it's going to take you to learn how to patch your jeans and continue wearing them. Right. You can make cute patches, too. I've seen jeans where they've actually embroidered over the, the, you know, the hole or the rip or whatever it is that happened. And the jeans now look even better than they did before. They have just a little bit of, you know, personality to them and age to them that they didn't have with a brand new pair of jeans. It's full of, you know, especially the newer jeans. They're full of elastic. You know, there's all that plastic that's been woven into them so if you get a good old 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 pair of jeans you know from the thrift store and then fix them up a little bit it gives them it just gives them a new life and you've got a better piece of clothing actually on your body and maybe this is the old soul in me but i love patchwork i do too yeah i just love that it's so beautiful i remember reading a book back when I was in high school and I think it was like called sisterhood of the traveling pants or something along those lines. I don't remember. Um, but the cover of it had these pair of pants, yep. with like different patches and drawings and whatever on it. And I, I just, I love that. Yeah. And so I think, you know, making something beautiful out of it, why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a great way of recycling and, and, you know, being, you know, more environmentally cautious, uh, conscientious as well. So it's, um, it's and it's a skill going back a little bit to what you were saying around learning skills once you learn them nobody can take them away from you and once you once you master them or you get proficient in them you could teach your children you could teach your your you know your community your neighbors that same skill and so it is a homesteading lifestyle that is pervasive and can flow through every place that you talk to and that you touch and um I don't know. I just I think that there's really something important there around taking the time to learn the skills, even if it's not something that you can do right away. You know, you want to be ready to go buy those yeah. goats. So better go learn about them now. <laughs> yeah. And how you were saying that you could teach your kids. Yeah. Gen- you know, I think homesteading is such a lifestyle, right? And it to be taught and passed down to generations in some capacity, whether that's like your cooking style, your um, just your homemaking style, things like that, that your kids will, you know, take from you and, and take those nuggets. Like, just like you yesterday, you were sharing on our Instagram about how your son had called and said, Hey mom, I miss your cooking. Yeah, that was cute. 
how good does that make you feel right like you are instilling that like he remembers that and like he'll tell his kids someday or like hey my mom made the best of this yeah well and i learned it from my mom so and my mom learned it from her mom so the way that i make it was stuffed shells and lasagna which is nothing big but the way i make it is the same way that my great-grandma made it um and I don't, I don't probably the same going down, but that's the last person that I remember. So, you know, it's going to flow down, you know, generation after generation and it becomes a tradition and it becomes a piece of their heritage that um, will live with them as long as somebody takes the time to learn the skill and takes the time to learn the recipe in this, in this instance. Um, but yeah, that did, that felt, he was being really sweet. <laughs> It was so sweet. And like you said, it's just it's someone took the time and took the initiative to learn the skill. And it's a skill that's been passed down for years. Yeah, generations and hopefully generations to come. We'll see if I can get them to boil noodles. We'll we'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I just I think that's really special. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, you know, same thing with sewing. My mom sewed. I'm not the seamstress that she was, but I learned from her. But every time I pick up a sewing machine or a piece of fabric or I look at something to make, I think of her. And so it's a it's a nice way to, um, you know, to remember the family members that you had before. And it's a nice way to give your family members that you leave behind something to hold on to that, that, that nobody can take away. I like that. You can't take it away. Molly, it's been great catching up with you as always. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about urban homesteading with you and some of the things that people can do to get started. And so just a, re a quick recap for our listeners. One, know your laws. If you're going to break them, at least know what you're breaking before you do it. Two, start a garden. It takes just a little bit of dirt and um, some space and some light and water to, to grow your own food. Three, compost. If you can compost dirt, it's a great way to have that garden be just a little bit more sufficient and you're not um, and you're not having to go out and purchase dirt. But four would be, you know, if you cannot have the space to source something, go outside of your homestead and look locally. You know, go to home, uh, go to homesteads that are in your surrounding areas. Go to farms. Go to farmers markets. There's apps that can support you in some of your areas. Uh, but really, look outside and talk to your local community. Five was cook from scratch. So bake bread, pick one skill, pick one thing to learn and to try and try to uh, cook just one piece of your meal completely at home. And then finally, six and seven is learn to preserve and store for the winter. So keep, um, keep learning those skills uh, and learn how to preserve. There's so many different ways to do it. You can dehydrate, you can can, you can freeze. Uh, you can uh, freeze dry depending on what you have at your disposal. And then finally, number seven is fiber arts. So try to pick up a skill when it comes to learning to sew or crochet. It's something that you can do in the middle of winter when there's not a lot to do outside. It doesn't take up much space at all and it keeps your hands nice and busy and creating something that you've made for yourself all by yourself. Um, Molly, again, thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me. Uh, I look forward to our next opportunity and to our next podcast. And until next time, this has been the Homestead Connection.